0: We all know that Mother Nature can have a monstrous temper. But do you know what else does? The Beasts and Foils featured in the Spotify original from ParCast, Mythical Monsters. Enjoy this episode, and afterwards, head on over to the Mythical Monsters feed and give it a follow. New episodes air every Monday, free on Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. A warning, this episode features dramatizations and discussions of starvation, violent death, and human sacrifice. Listener discretion is advised, especially for listeners under 13. Something to note, the story you're about to hear is not a direct retelling of any single myth about the Thunderbird. We've combined elements from several different legends from the Quileute and Lakota Sioux to illustrate the many facets of this powerful bird. Hi, I'm Vanessa Richardson, you're listening to Mythical Monsters, the weekly podcast where we tell stories of the fearsome beasts that have stalked the human imagination for centuries. In examining the origins of these fictitious monsters, we hope to learn more about the cultures and peoples who created them. Behind every mythical creature is a deep truth about ourselves. Last week's episode was about biblical sea serpent, the Leviathan. If you haven't heard it yet, be sure to catch up on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. The Leviathan has a fascinating history that reaches all the way back to the very first human civilizations. Today we're discussing another creature with deep connections to nature, the Thunderbird. In some legends, this elemental creature is considered a sacred force for good, while in others, it's a dangerous figure with the power to create unparalleled chaos and destruction. Background on the Thunderbird, right after this. Hear that? It's the sound of someone whacking the ground with a rake. Specifically, they're beating around the bush They're changing bodies. And all of a sudden, just the weight starts falling off. Fortunes. It just got too expensive. They're just bank breakers. And industries. There was a lot of excitement. There was a lot of skepticism. The impact of these drugs from business to health is just beginning. From the journal, Trillion Dollar Shot. Find it in the journal feed wherever you get your podcasts. A new true crime podcast from the team behind Up and Vanished. In 2016... Adventurer Justin Alexander was invited on a trek by an Indian holy man. They headed to a spiritual ground in the Himalayan mountains, a place beyond civilization. The holy man returned and said nothing, but Justin was never seen again. What happened to him? Dive into our investigation in Status Untraced. Available now. Listen for free on Spotify. The stories of the Thunderbird appear in the cultures of indigenous peoples all across the United States. For the Ojibwe of the Great Lakes region, the Thunderbird is a powerful spirit created to help protect against evil water creatures. The Midwestern Shawnee know them as shapeshifters called Nenimki. The Arapaho tribes of the Great Plains associate the Thunderbird with the coming of summer, while the Menominee of Wisconsin believed them to be messengers of the sun. The spiritual beliefs of Native American tribes are both interconnected and distinct. There are over a hundred major tribes in the United States spread out over miles of desert, grassy plains, wetlands, and mountains. Though tribes had their own societies, they still traded with each other, fought wars, took captives, and made alliances. All these connections led to the spread of stories and ideas. We can see this cultural diffusion in the legend of the Thunderbird. Tales of the Great Stormbird appear in the oral traditions of tribes separated by thousands of miles, with vastly different languages, cultures, and religious beliefs. Though some details may vary, the cores of these stories remain the same. They speak of enormous birds, like hawks or eagles. They have the ability to bring storms with their gargantuan wings and could carry a whale in one claw. This is the legend of the Thunderbird, a story that teaches us about the power held by the spirits of the Earth. It's a power that can be used to help or to harm, and it should never be taken lightly. Pecha made her way through the thicket of blackberry bushes. Her two-year-old son, Leili, followed unsteadily behind her. It was too early for blackberries, but they were desperate to find something, anything that they could eat. Pecha hadn't had a real meal since the storm that destroyed the summer harvest. The tribal elders said that they had never seen anything like it, driving sheets of rain plowed through the hillsides, sweeping away peas, corn, and squash. The storm had even disrupted the salmon run. Dead and rotting fish had been washing up along the banks of the river for weeks. Pecha swept her son up into her arms and carried him back to the village. His stomach rumbled angrily, and the toddler began to cry. Pecha shushed him as they neared one of the plank houses at the center of the village. The two tribal chiefs emerged from the cedar wood doorway. They carried a small canoe between them, draped in a red blanket. A shaman dressed in a bearskin cape followed behind them. The people of the village came after, walking in a line behind the three men. Pecha slipped in behind her brother, Haney, and asked, What's going on? Haney whispered back, Mira's boy wouldn't rise from bed this morning. Mira said they hadn't had anything to eat in weeks. The boy had starved to death. Haney explained that the chiefs were taking his body to the sacred island of Akalat. They were going to show it to Kwati, the changer. Perhaps if he saw what starvation had done, he might do something to help. To make a request of the great spirit of change was a dangerous gamble, but it was the only choice they had left. The crowd made their way to the gray sandbar that connected Akalat to the mainland. They waited there as the shaman and chiefs continued onto the island. Black shapes loomed in the trees around the trail, nestled high in the branches of cedar trees. They were war canoes, each one holding the body of a long dead chief. The sight of them filled Pecha with a deep sense of foreboding. The three men reached the circle of stones at the top of the hill. White smoke began to rise, and the sound of low chanting drifted toward the crowd. As the smoke grew, it took the shape of a great funnel, growing larger and larger until it engulfed the men entirely. A long time passed, Pecha's legs began to ache, but she did not dare sit down. Kwati was a temperamental spirit, and she didn't want to risk appearing disrespectful. Finally, the cone of smoke dissipated. The men looked up at the sky, and there was a deafening crack of thunder. Pecha saw a bank of black clouds rolling in over the horizon. Her heart sank. Kwati had been offended by their request, and now he was sending another storm the other villagers were whispering and pointing upward, Pecha followed their gaze and felt the hairs on the back of her neck stand on end. Flying in front of the clouds as though it were dragging them behind it was a thunderbird. Pecha watched in horror as the bird and the storm drew closer. Each wing was as long as an oak tree. Its head alone was the size of her house. Its feathers were all the colors of the storm, the deep purples and blues of a darkening sky, the gray black of a cloud, and the flashing silver of lightning. A deluge of rain and hail poured from each massive quill. The bird soared on a gust of freezing arctic wind. Each flap of its massive wings created a thunderous boom. When it opened its eyes, lightning crackled out from them. The Thunderbird gave a cry that sent shivers up Pecha's spine. She had never seen anything so magnificent and yet so terrifying. As it flew toward them, some of the people on the beach began to run away. Others fell to their knees in a desperate attempt to appease the creature. Pecha felt frozen in place. All of a sudden, the bird switched direction. Pecha gasped as it dove headfirst toward the frothing waves. It disappeared beneath the water, and for a moment, the shore was completely still. No one dared to even breathe. Then it emerged in a tremendous spray of salt water, holding the wriggling body of a whale in its talons. The birds swooped toward the beach. It was headed right for them. Pecha clutched her son to her chest. She felt a spray of rain and hail as the bird landed on the gray sand. It dropped the whale and the massive sea creature gave a great bellow of pain. A few of the villagers screamed as the Thunderbird lowered its head and closed its eyes. When it opened them again, a bolt of lightning shot straight into the whale's belly. The whale gave one last terrible twitch, and then was still. The bird tapped its prey with one enormous talon, rolling it toward the terrified villagers. No one moved a muscle. The Thunderbird alighted from the beach and flew back toward the open ocean, taking the storm with it and leaving behind a clear blue sky. For a moment, no one spoke. Then Pecha understood what had happened. In an awed whisper, she murmured, it was a gift. The spell broke. The crowd gathered around the whale, muttering amongst themselves. One of the chiefs made his way to the front of the crowd and pulled out a long bone knife. He made the first slice into the whale's flesh, prompting a cheer from the surrounding villagers. Pecha felt her eyes filling with tears. She set Lely down on the ground and squeezed his hand. Would he remember this day once he had grown up? Maybe not, but Pecha knew that as long as she lived, she would never forget. In many Quileute stories, Thunderbirds are the messengers for a great spirit named Kwati. Though Kwati plays the role of a creator god, the Quiliute think of him as a changer. They believe that the world and everything in it has always been here. Kwati did not create the first beings, they always existed. But it was his power that transformed them from a single homogenous group into the unique creatures that populate the world today. Quiliute mythology reasons that because everything in existence comes from those first beings, attributes can transcend species. For instance, the killer instinct of a wolf is shared by the orca, so it makes sense that wolves can transform into killer whales when they enter the ocean. The two creatures are one and the same. In this sense, a thunderbird can be both a bird and a storm there's no difference between the two. Storms can be destructive, or helpful, depending on the context. And Thunderbirds share that dual nature. They sometimes bring people food or protect them in times of crisis. But they can just as easily be a force for chaos and destruction. When something has made a Thunderbird angry, that destruction can be brutal. Lay peered around the trunk of an enormous pine tree. The deer was only a few feet away, grazing contentedly on a plot of grass. He held his breath as he knocked an arrow to his bow. He drew it back, but before he could release, a crack of thunder made the deer look up. Seeing the hunter, she gave a little snort and darted off into the forest. Layli sat down on the ground and looked angrily at his hands. It had been over a month since he'd caught anything. If Clay ever found that out, Layli would never hear the end of it. Clay could probably kill a deer with his eyes closed. He was muscular and handsome, and he always made Layli feel like a flabby worm. Lely had never met his father, but Clay's dad was a tribal elder. Some people had all the luck. Lely looked up at the darkening sky. Wonderful. He would have to return home in the pouring rain, empty-handed. His mother would tell him she wasn't hungry, but he knew that wasn't true. He sighed and started up the wooded hillside. When he emerged onto a wide, green field, Lely stopped short, Lying in the center of the grass was an enormous blue-gray shape. It loomed over him like a massive, upside-down canoe. As Lely drew closer, he realized it was a whale, so big it practically took up the entire field. Just beyond the whale, glittering in the sunlight, was an iridescent feather that was at least as tall as him. Suddenly, a memory popped into his head. He was a small child clinging to his mother, and an enormous bird was dropping a whale on the beach. Lely stared wide-eyed at the unbelievably huge carcass. Could it be? How else could it have gotten there? It was the only reasonable explanation. This whale had to be another gift from a Thunderbird. Coming up, Lely makes a poor decision and finds himself facing the wrath of a Thunderbird. Now back to the story. Lely gazed open-mouthed at the field in front of him. The blue-gray body of a whale sat in the center. From where Lely was standing, the whale looked like it was almost as big as the black stone hill behind it. A feather was laying just beyond the whale carcass. The bottom was colored the deep purple of a stormy sky, but the color faded into a glittering silver at the tip. He picked it up and held it in front of him like a man-sized staff. It must have come from a thunderbird. All his life he'd heard his mother tell the story of how a Thunderbird presented the villagers with a whale to keep them from starving. He'd been very young at the time, but he still could remember standing on a beach and clinging to his mother's hand while a great storm raged around them. It was his earliest memory. He never could have imagined that he would see one himself. The Thunderbirds lived in a distant mountain. Anyone who even came close was pelted with a deadly barrage of hail. Clay was the bravest hunter in the village, and even he wouldn't dare to go looking for a Thunderbird. Laylee had always secretly wondered if the Thunderbirds were a thing of the past, Kindly guardians who showed up once in a lifetime and then were gone forever. He was most inclined to think that way on days like today, when he was returning home empty-handed after a discouraging day of hunting. Now though, he was holding a real Thunderbird feather, and there was no denying it. The Thunderbird had been here. Lely looked back to the whale sitting in the middle of the field. If Thunderbirds were real, did that mean this one had brought him a whale to keep his mother from going hungry? That was why it had come all those years ago. It must be why it came today, too. Lely broke the feather in half and stuffed it into his quiver. He was going to bring something back after all. Just wait until Clay saw this. Layli ran all the way back to the village. He jogged into the dirt yard of one of the low plank houses and stood wheezing with his hands on his knees. As he caught his breath, Pecha hurried out to meet him. Her brow knitted in concern as she said, "'What's the matter? "'Why were you running? "'You hate running.' Layli smiled and pulled out the feather. His mother's face went pale and she asked where he had found it. A small crowd began to gather around him as he explained. By the time Layli had finished his story, the crowd was abuzz with excited chatter. Some had already run off to fetch boxes to store the whale meat. The only person who didn't look happy was his mother. Layli frowned and asked, why do you look so glum? We've been given a great gift. Pecha shook her head. I'm not so sure that we have. A thunderbird may have left the whale on the field, but that does not mean it intended for us to eat it. Maybe it was carrying the whale home for its own supper. Leili rolled his eyes. His mother was always finding some reason to worry. He told her not to be so nervous. She would see as soon as they reached the field that the Thunderbird was nowhere in sight. Pecha gave an exasperated sigh, asking, And how do you know that? Did you check every corner of the woods? Lely smiled patiently. He told her that of course he hadn't checked every corner of the woods, but thunderbirds were big. There weren't many places where one could hide. If she insisted, they could climb the bluff overlooking the field. Lely gave his mother a cheeky grin and asked, If we can't see any thunderbirds waiting in the woods to pounce on us, then will you accept this gift? Pecha raised her eyebrows and said, I suppose I would have to. Though the Thunderbird is most often described as a gigantic bird, some versions paint an altogether different picture. Among the Shawnee of the Great Lakes region, the Thunderbird is believed to be a shapeshifter. This version of the creature can remove its wings and bird head to assume the appearance of a young man. Though they look human, they often reveal themselves through their peculiar habit of speaking backwards. These shapeshifter stories may have originated with the ancient Mississippian culture, based out of a bustling metropolis known as Cahokia. In the 12th century, the city of Cahokia was an imperial hub of pyramids, grand plazas, and massive astronomical calendars known as wood hinges. One of the symbols most commonly found among the archeological remains of that great dynasty was a man clothed in the wings and head of a large bird. The design can be seen on petroglyphs carved into copper plates and chiseled into stone tablets. It's even found in one of the city's most important burial sites – a mass grave of over 260 individuals, seemingly centered around two young men. The bodies of the men were covered with an elaborate beaded cape sewn in the shape of a bird. The Birdman imagery of Cahokia is remarkably similar to the Thunderbird images created by tribes living in the area some 500 years later. The ancient burials of Cahokia are also linked to the Thunderbird myth in the way that they depict power. The men interred in those graves were no doubt immensely powerful. They were buried in a place of great prestige, along with pottery, jewelry, weapons, and human sacrifices arranged into an eternal tableau. These birdmen, as they're sometimes called, would have demanded fear and respect, Just like the Thunderbird, they had the power to enrich their subjects, or, alternatively, to enact terrible violence. Those who found themselves on the wrong side of these mighty figures would meet a gruesome end. As the other villagers gathered the tools that they would need to slaughter the enormous whale, Lely and his mother made their way up a rocky slope to a bluff overlooking the field. When they reached the top, Lely spread out his arms, presenting the landscape before his mother. He asked if she would partake now. Pecha didn't reply. She just squinted off into the distance then pointed to an enormous black hill at the edge of the field and proclaimed, that is the Thunderbird. Layli laughed and told her not to be silly. That was just part of the mountain. His mother shook her head sadly. She told him to look again. Layli shaded his eyes against the midday sun and examined the rocky hill. After a moment, he saw it. The deep crevices were really the folds of the bird's wing, and what he had initially taken to be veins of granite were the silver tips of the creature's enormous feathers. The Thunderbird wasn't gone at all, it had been there the whole time, sleeping soundly next to the whale that most definitely was not meant for them. Lei Li looked down the river to where the first of the villagers' canoes were pulling up by the green field. He had to stop them. He told his mother to go back to the village and then started sprinting down the rocky slope. He flew down the hillside, sliding over the gravel-strewn ground and ripping a patch of skin from his knee. Lely barely noticed the blood streaming down his leg. All he could think about was the storm he had witnessed as a child, the way the great cracks of thunder had struck terror into his heart. He had to get to the villagers and warn them. Finally, Lely made it to the bottom of the rocky cliff. The villagers had already begun butchering the whale. Some of them had built up fires, and Lely spotted one of the chiefs cutting away big chunks of glistening meat from the blubber. Lely could barely breathe as he stumbled up to the chief. For a moment, he just stood there holding his side, unable to force the words out of his mouth. Then all at once, they came tumbling out. Stop, you have to stop. This whale wasn't meant for you. The Thunderbird is here. It's asleep. The chief cut him off with a hearty laugh. Laylee, you're just like your mother, always worrying. We know the Thunderbird is here. We're not fools. Laylee blinked in astonishment. Clay stepped forward. He was holding two skewers of charred whale meat. He told Laylee to calm down. The Thunderbird is fast asleep, he must be tired from carrying the whale all this way. We'll take as much as we need and then sew the whale back up. When the Thunderbird wakes, it won't even notice that we were here at all. Clay smiled and took a big bite of the dripping meat. He held the other skewer up to Lely and told him to try a piece. For a minute, Lely was tempted, but then he glanced at the whale in front of him the memory came back to him again. He was clinging to his mother and squeezing his eyes shut so he wouldn't have to see the monstrous black shape bearing down on them. Layli shook his head. He told Clay that he shouldn't be eating the meat, that none of them should eat it. He was going to add that they should pack up their canoes and go home right now. But before he could, Laylee was interrupted by a sound that sent shivers up his spine. It was the furious cry of the Thunderbird. When we return, the Thunderbird takes its vengeance. Now back to the story. As the villagers went about butchering the whale, the shrill cry of a bird rang out over the valley. Everyone looked up at the sound, directing their attention toward the massive black shape at the edge of the field. What had looked like a part of the mountain was now unfolding itself into a gigantic bird. Lely felt as if a lead weight had settled in his stomach. The villagers seemed transfixed. Clay gazed up at the bird and chewed thoughtfully on his skewer of whale meat. Lely wondered frantically why no one was running. They had knowingly stolen the Thunderbird's meal while it slept. Now the feathered giant was waking. His wrath would be terrible. The bird spread its wings. With the deafening crash of thunder, it took off. As it lifted up into the sky, the pungent smell of burning metal filled the air. Lely recognized the scent immediately. It was the way the air smelled before a storm. The bird gathered black clouds around its richly colored wings. It circled once above the field, spraying the villagers with a shower of rainwater from the tips of its wings. The cold water seemed to wake the crowd from the trance they'd been trapped in. They started to scream and run for cover, but it was too late. The Thunderbird was diving down toward them bringing with him a shower of hail the size of apples. It turned its gaze to three young hunters who were running into the woods. A bolt of lightning flew from its eyes. Lely watched in terror as it hit one of the hunters. His arms flew up and the lightning shook his entire body before he dropped lifeless to the ground. The bird made another circle, and more hail came pelting down, this time the size of pumpkins. Blood spattered the field as hailstones slammed into an old man's arm, crushing the bone and severing the tendon with a horrific tearing sound. Another massive chunk of ice whizzed by Lely's head, missing him by inches. He looked around for someplace to hide, but everything around him was chaos. People were screaming and dying. A fleeing man knocked Lely to his knees. He crawled through the rain-soaked grass until he reached a pile of firewood. Lely pulled one of the largest logs over himself and shivered in fear as he listened to the screams of the villagers. Time passed. Laylee couldn't tell if it was minutes or hours, but eventually the screaming stopped. The clamor of hail turned into the gentle patter of light rain and then vanished altogether. Lely summoned up the courage to crawl out from under the pile of wood. He gaped at the horrific scene around him. Bodies lay strewn across the field, melting hailstones mixing with blood. Some were groaning in pain, but even more had been beaten into a bloody pulp by the barrage. A group of survivors stood gathered in the center of the field. Lely saw that clay was among them. His arm hung awkwardly from its socket. As Laylee approached, Clay climbed up onto a stump and began to address the crowd. Brothers, hear me. I know you are afraid, but today we are marked as survivors. Today... Before he could go on, the booming crash of thunder filled the air. Lely looked up at the sky just as the sound of the thunderbird's frenzied cry rang out. The bird sailed over them again. Lely braced himself for more hail, but there was none, only a light sprinkling of rain. For a moment, he was relieved. Maybe it was all over. Then Clay moaned. He doubled over and dropped to the ground. The surrounding villagers all began clutching their stomachs. One by one, they collapsed, writhing in agony among the dead. Lei recognized Mata, a young woman from the village who had always been kind to him. He rushed to her side, and she clutched at his arm, moaning, "'My stomach! It's like my stomach is filled with stones!' For a moment, Lely was confused, but then he looked up at the whale carcass and understood. The meat was turning to stone. He watched in horror as the girl's stomach began to turn gray. It wasn't just the whale meat that was turning to stone. It was everything the meat touched. He wrenched her hand off his arm and backed away from the mass of writhing villagers. Clay crawled towards him, reaching out a trembling hand. Layli turned and ran from the clearing as fast as he could. The Thunderbird is one of the more widespread figures in indigenous belief systems. Its strikingly similar depictions across vast geographic distances have led to a whole host of explanations for the myth's existence. One anecdote presents a tempting theory to explain the prevalence of the Thunderbird myth. In an 1875 account, an early paleontologist named Othniel Marsh tells of being shown fossilized dinosaur bones by members of the Lakota Sioux. The Sioux told him that the bones belonged to thunder beasts, enormous horses that rode across the Great Plains, creating thunder with the pounding of their hooves. The pterosaur of the Cretaceous period could reach a wingspan of up to 36 feet. It seems plausible that the ancient ancestors of indigenous tribes might have conjured such a myth to rationalize the massive bones. Some scientists also point to the fact that many versions of the story show Thunderbirds protecting humanity from huge amphibious reptiles. If early indigenous peoples were indeed finding pterosaur fossils, they would have discovered the fossils of other dinosaurs along with them. Perhaps the side-by-side discoveries of these two inexplicable creatures was what inspired Tales of the Thunderbird. Ancient people could have found the bones of very real animals and created a mythology where the two were ancient enemies. In many ways, the truth about these fossils was not so different from the stories that were told about them millions of years later. Maybe it's because these tales tap into an age-old truth. As long as there's life on Earth, there will be conflict between predators and prey. Lei gazed out over the inky black waters of the mountain lake. In the distance, he could hear the shouts and laughter of his grandchildren. It seemed miraculous that they could have that kind of energy after such a long journey. Once he'd had that sort of youthful vigor, back when he'd lived in the village by the sea, he could still recall the day it had all fallen apart. He remembered running back to the village and telling his mother that they had to leave and never come back. He could never forget the look on her face. One of Laylee's daughters tapped him on the shoulder and asked if he wanted more to eat. He shook his head, smiling fondly at her. He had lived a good life in the time that had passed. He never found another tribe, but he had found something even better. He'd met his wife, and together they made their own tribe. Lely never got any better at hunting, but that was all right. Now his sons spent all day pursuing game. They never caught anything either, but they were happy. As Lely stared out at the lake, he noticed something strange. The air was completely still, but the water in the center was churning madly as if swept up in a storm. Behind him, Lely heard one of his daughters yelling. She was standing with his little granddaughter, Pecha. He watched as Pecha fell to her knees and expelled a deluge of inky black vomit onto her moccasins. Lely stood, but before he could take even a single step, he felt a sudden nausea overcome him. He swayed dizzily and then threw up onto the ground. He wiped his mouth and looked curiously at what had come out of his stomach. It looked like black soil. All around him, his family were vomiting this strange substance. Lely thought back to the day his village had turned to stone. His blood ran cold. The Thunderbird had come back. Lely had been the one to tell the villagers about the whale, and now it was seeking vengeance. Laylee heard the deafening crack of thunder. He turned around to see that the water in the lake was frothing and foaming. He watched in astonishment as something rose up out of it. It had green and gold scales that glittered in the moonlight. When it looked at him, its red eyes seemed to burn his flesh. For a terrifying moment, Laylee locked eyes with the gigantic serpent. This was not the Thunderbird. This was something worse. The serpent reared back and swooped down toward him. The gigantic fangs closed in on him, too fast for the old man to evade. Lely shut his eyes. This was the end. He was going to die. Then suddenly, Lely heard a familiar, deafening sound. He opened his eyes just in time to see the serpent being dragged away from him. There, struggling with the snake on the shore of the lake, was the Thunderbird. Its massive talons dug into the serpent's flesh, but the snake struck back, sinking its fangs into the bird's neck. The Thunderbird cried out in pain. It reared back and dove at the snake, ramming its beak into the snake's eye. Lely ran to take shelter behind a large boulder as the two beasts grappled together. They sprayed everything around them with great gobs of mud and blood. The serpent struck again and again. Waves of blood gushed from under the bird's feathers. Lely could see that the Thunderbird was moving slower. It was weakening under the snake's relentless attack. The snake reared back for one final strike. The Thunderbird swiveled its head around. It opened its eyes wide, and jagged flashes of lightning hurtled out from them. They surged into the snake's open jaws. For a moment, its entire body convulsed. Then it was still. The Thunderbird's claws closed on the lifeless serpent. It spread its massive wings and took off from the lake. Lely watched as it flew away, its fallen enemy clutched in its talons. It didn't look back. Lely hadn't expected it to. He felt like he finally understood the massive bird. All these times he had thanked it or cursed it and the Thunderbird had never given him a single thought. Lely picked himself up and looked back at his terrified family. He was lucky to be alive. Witnessing a thunderstorm is an experience like nothing else on Earth. The sheets of rain that sweep across the land, the deafening boom of the thunder, and the crackle of lightning as it lights up the sky. To be in the presence of a thunderstorm is to witness something that is utterly beyond our control. To the early North Americans, it would have seemed like ultimate power, a force beyond anything that humans could possibly imagine this was the might of the Thunderbird. Regardless of which legend was being told, or the tribe telling it, this power is always what lies at the heart of any Thunderbird story. They were creatures that inspired awe and terror. The awe comes from the terrible might of the Thunderbird, and the terror comes from the fact that we can never know how it's going to use that might. The Thunderbird is utterly ambivalent to the petty squabbles of humanity. It's just as happy to feed us as it is to destroy our crops and leave us to starve. That the Thunderbird sometimes defeats the larger enemies that threaten humanity is a matter of pure luck. In fact, anything the magnificent bird does is up to chance. Like anything wild, the Thunderbird is a thoroughly unpredictable entity. If we can't learn to fear and respect this mighty force of nature, then it will crush us the way a child crushes an ant without remorse or even a second thought. Thanks for listening to Mythical Monsters. We'll be back next week with a new episode. For more information on Thunderbirds, amongst the many sources we used, we found the book Children of the Thunderbird, Legends and Myths from the West Coast by Edward C. Myers, as well as the website Quileutenation.org, extremely helpful to our research. You can find all episodes of Mythical Monsters and all other ParCast Originals for free on Spotify. Not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, but now Spotify's making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite ParCast Originals, like Mythical Monsters, for free, from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. To stream Mythical Monsters on Spotify, just open the app and type Mythical Monsters in the search bar. I'll see you next time. Mythical Monsters was created by Max Cutler and is a Parcast Studios original. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound designed by Brian Golub, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Aaron Larson. This episode of Mythical Monsters was written by Zoe Luisa Lewis, with writing assistance by Greg Castro. I'm Vanessa Richardson. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, remember to follow Mythical Monsters free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes air weekly every Monday.